Thank you. Turn with me in your Bibles again this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we've taken a little bit of a detour and a break uh, during the holidays, but we are, as a body, as a, as a church, in the, in the midst of a, st- a series of sermons on uh, the pastoral epistles, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus. And uh, we made it through the first two chapters of First Timothy before uh, we took a, a break uh, for uh, the Christmas holiday. Uh, you might remember that... Uh, um, Chapter one focuses upon First uh, Timothy focuses upon the church and its message, and, and and there Paul warned Timothy about the danger of, of false teaching and taught false teachers, and encouraged him to, to, to take a strong stand against those who were leading uh, folks in the church in Ephesus astray from the truth, the church and its message. Uh, in chapter two, he focused upon the church and its members. You might remember that in chapter 2 he uh, exhorted us to pray, exhorted the men in particular to pray, and exhorted the women uh, to receive instruction with all quietness and submission. Uh, Now in chapter 3 he turns to the church and its ministers, or to the church and its leadership, and uh, we're going to be looking at what uh, Paul has to say about uh, the work of the elder and the work of the deacon as we move through chapter 2. Today it's the, the biblical elder from 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. And let us hear again God's word. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity, But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask now your blessing upon us. We uh, come with uh, hungry hearts to learn and to grow. and We just pray as we look at uh, the leadership of the church this morning that you would be uh, our guide and our help and you would encourage us as we do. And we pray that you would uh, use this uh, text and this exposition of it to encourage us as a body of believers. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Leadership matters. No matter what area of life it is, leadership matters. Families are only as solid as the leadership that parents provide for it. A business will prosper in direct proportion to the leadership that the management gives to it. Uh, People often say that a school's success largely depends upon the quality of leadership provided by one particular individual, that's the principal of that school. 
You know, there have been a number of coaching changes in college uh, ranks and professional teams uh, since the close of the seasons. And, and the one thing you hear most often as schools or organizations are looking for a new coach is who can provide the best leadership for our team? Our elected officials are our political leaders. And where our country is is a reflection of leadership that we have. You know, when you go to the polls to vote, one of the things you're being asked as you cast your ballot is who can provide the best leadership for our country? We look to our elected officials to provide us leadership. Leadership matters. And the same is true in the church. Leadership matters in the body of Christ. And there's one thing that comes through loud and clear in these pastoral epistles that Paul is writing to these young men, Timothy and Titus. It is that effective leadership is crucial in the life of and the ministry of the church. And that is particularly true of a church like ours, one that is elder-led. And some of you here because we are an elder-led church where we elect men, godly men, men with a passion for Christ and a love for the church, and a vision for what God is doing, to whom you commit leadership of the church. Folks, leadership matters in a church like ours that is elder-led because the ministry of the church is most often a reflection of its leadership. People normally do not rise above the level of their leaders. And that's why I've told you, and that's why I've told the elders of this church more than once that this church can only go so far is they can lead, lead you. They are the ones who are to set the example. They're the ones to be out in front saying, this is, the way, this is the way we're to do it. This is where we're to go. You follow us. There is an inseparable link between the character of the church and the quality of its leadership. You know, Paul was not above setting himself as an example. In fact, he told the Ephesians, be imitators of me. And then he said also to the Philippians, the things you have learned and heard and received and seen in me, practice these things. He said, what you see in me, what you've heard from me, what you have received from me, practice these things. And leadership is so important in the life of the church that God doesn't leave it to guesswork. He doesn't have us wondering, well, what, what does a leader in the church look like? Or what we should we look for in leaders in the church? No, he tells us exactly what our leaders are to be and what we're to look for in them. You know, in chapter 2, I mentioned a moment ago, Paul addressed the men of the church, exhorting them to pray. Ordered the women in the church, telling them to receive instruction with quietness and submission. And now he addresses the leadership of the church. First it's going to be the elders, then it's going to be the deacons. And so this morning we're going to look at the leadership of the, of the elders, and I'm going to do it briefly, I hope, in five 
parts. And first, there is the man's desire. Verse 1. If a man's going to be a leader in the church, he ought to want to be a leader in the church. Paul says in verse 1, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. This is the second of five trustworthy statements that Paul gives us in the pastoral epistles. Notice he says, it is a trustworthy statement. The first was found in chapter 1, um, verse 15. It is a trustworthy statement. And uh, there he talked about Christ coming to be our Savior. This is the second of these trustworthy statements. These were widely held, embraced, accepted truths in the early church. It's a trustworthy statement, Paul says, that if any man aspires to the office of overseer, elder, then it is a noble thing. It's a good thing. The office of elder here, overseer, is the Greek word episkopos, which is translated sometimes as bishop, also used as elder or overseer. The words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. It is someone who is given oversight of the body of Christ. It, uh, to aspire to it means to reach out for it. To, to grab hold of it. Uh, to seize it as something that's desirable. It's something that you want for your life. And Paul says here, aspiring to the office of elder is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a noble thing. But you can't just stop with the first part where it says, uh, if any man aspires to the office. He goes on to say, it is a good work, or is a fine work, he desires to do. Being an overseer in the church, being an elder in the church, is being committed not just to an office, or to a position, or to a place, but is a commitment to a work. It is the work of the elders. And you ought to expect your elders to work. On your behalf. What is that work? Peter calls it shepherding the flock of God. The elders are shepherds. And it's not just a position they hold where they sit around a table and make executive decisions that impact the life of the church. These are men who are to be involved with you as members of the body of Christ, as a part of the church. They're to be working at it. They're to be working at knowing you and your family. They're to be working at praying for you and your family. They're to be working at encouraging you and your family. And sometimes, yes, they're to be working at exhorting you and your family. It is a fine work, a work that an elder embraces. Your elders are working in your midst to minister to you, and you should pray for your elders that they would be good workers among you. And so uh, we find first the man's desire. He ought to, he ought to desire it, ought to want it, and ought to uh, want to do the work of it. And then secondly, in, in the major portion of what Paul gives us here is the man's character. It's not just that a man should want it, but a man, in a sense, deserves it by his character. 
it's clear from the New Testament teaching that the character of the leadership of the church is the most important thing. It really is, folks, all about character. Here in uh, 1 Timothy 3, Paul gives us 11 character traits of an elder or an overseer. He gives us one gift or skill or ability. When you go to uh, Titus, Titus repeats four of these leadership qualities, characteristics, and then he adds eight more. It really is all about character. Uh, Notice what some of those character traits are, and I'm going to run through these quickly, beginning with verse 2. Notice that these are not optional, but they are requirements, because Paul several times uses the word must, verse 2. And over the seer then must be above reproach. That is, he must be a man who is free from having anything in his life that would disqualify him from being elder in the church. Someone, someone to whom someone can't point to say, why is he an elder in the church? Who does not have a glaring moral or character flaw that would prevent him from holding this position in the church. He is to be above reproach. Second, he is to be the husband of one wife. And this phrase doesn't focus so much on his marital status as it does on his moral character, his commitment to the wife that he has. You can talk about whether a man who's been divorced on biblical grounds and then remarried biblically can be an elder in the church, or if a man who has never been married can be an elder in the church. Those are kind of side issues. The focus here is not there. The focus here is on a man's commitment to the wife that he has. The word literally says he's a one-woman man. Committed to the wife and to the vows he made before the Lord to her. He is to be the husband of one wife and setting an example of that for the flock. And that's important, isn't it? Because if there's one area where and we're going to talk about the snare of the devil later. If there's one area where the devil comes at the leadership of the church, it's in the family and in the home. How many ministers have fallen because of succumbing to temptations, to unfaithfulness to their spouse, husband of one wife. Third, uh, Paul says he must be temperate. That is, a man who exercises self-control, demonstrates moderation in his life, not prone to excess or to extravagance. He's going to name several specific areas of temperance that are needed later, such as in the use of alcohol, control of his temper, use of money. But here he gives it as a general trait. He is to be a temperate, moderate man. He is to be prudent. Still in verse 3, prudent means wise, well-disciplined, having proper priorities, doesn't see things through the world's eyes, but sees things through God's eyes, okay? He's a man who seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He is also, verse 3, respectable, a man whose quality of life commands respect from other people. Again, it goes to the man's behavior, 
respectable behavior. I think the King James uses that, that phraseology of good behavior. He goes on to say he must be hospitable. That is, he must be something of a people person. He must be concerned about others, interested in others. Uh, this is a word that particularly relates to our relationship with strangers, with new people. Uh, elders ought to be making people feel welcome here. What do we call the church? We call this the house of God, right? But we ought to be making people feel welcome in God's house. Shame on us if people come here and aren't made to feel welcome. We don't act like we're glad to see them. Glad they're here. Roll out the red carpet. Tell them we're glad they're here. The elders are to be setting the example for that. Reaching out to folks and uh, welcoming them here uh, among us. Uh, he must be, uh, moving to verse 3, not addicted to wine. That is, his temperance, his prudence must include his use of alcohol. Not talking here about the use of it, but the abuse of it. Not, not being addicted to it. And the focus here is clearly on a man who uh, controls his use of it and not, is not controlled by it. He must not be, still in verse 3, pugnacious. What a great word, pugnacious. How many of you used that word in the last week? Pugnacious. Pugnacious, a pugnacious person is one who's prone to violence, who's ready to fight, who's always antagonistic, pugnacious person. An elder is not to be pugnacious, but rather... Contrary to that, um, still in verse 3, he is to be gentle and he is to be peaceable. I'll put those two together. A gentle person who's smoothing things over and not stirring things up. A peaceable person, a peacemaker. We talk about peacemaking a lot in our church and the elders to be peacemakers, trying to patch it back together. That's one, of, that's one of my jobs. Patch it back together. It's the elder's job. Patch it back together when there are, there are dissensions or disputes or disagreements. You know, we don't want to enhance those things. We don't want to further those things. We want to, we want to bring people together. We want to make peace. And the elders are to be gentle. And they are to be peaceable. And then he goes on to say... In, that he is to be, end uh, of verse 3, free from the love of money. Now, it's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money. It's what we're going to find in chapter 6, where, where Paul says it's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. And it's not that the man might have money. It's how does he view that money? Does he live for it? Or does he live for Christ? Does he hold his things tightly? Or... Is he let them go? Is he generous? That's what you're looking for in the leadership of the church. That's not hard. It's not hard to, to find, is it? The Bible says, "Where your treasure is, there your heart be also." You can see, you can tell. I, for the sake of time, I'm not going to address what what Paul says about a man's relationship to his family, um, other than to say that there is a direct connection between the two. You know, you know, Paul says, look, if a man can't manage his own household, how can he manage the church of God? 
manage his own little flock. How can he manage the flock of God? And so there's a direct connection between a man's home life and his church life, between a man's leadership and his family and his leadership in the church. Now, all those characteristics that I named there add up to a man's pursuit of holiness. Elders are to be men who are concerned about their own personal lives conforming to the image of Christ. So that's the man's character. The third thing we find is the man's ability. There's one ability given here. You might notice I skipped it during the list of the, of the character traits. End of verse 3, it says an elder must be able to teach. Able to teach. What does that mean? What does it mean that an elder must be able to teach? Does it mean that every man who holds the office of elder must be able to, to put a, a lesson or a sermon together, to be able to stand behind a podium or a pulpit and be able to speak publicly? Certainly we are thankful that there are elders who are able to do that. We are blessed as a congregation of elders who are able to teach, who teach in various classes, teach the adults, teach the children. It's the young people. What a great blessing that is for a church. But you know, there are other ways to teach than just standing behind a, a, a pulpit or a lectern and expounding upon a lesson. You know, the Bible talks about us teaching our children as we go along in life, as we go to bed at night, as we rise up in the morning, as we go throughout the day. And, and there are men who aren't able particularly to, to teach behind a pulpit, who teach a lot through their lives, who teach a lot by their example, by their testimony, by their witness, by their involvement in people's lives. I can remember one particular elder in a former church from whom I probably learned more about godliness and holiness and devotion and dedication and generosity than I did any other man in the church. I never saw him behind a podium. Never saw him behind the pulpit. Never saw him teach a class. But my was he a teacher. My was he able to teach. Because he taught by example. And by the quality of his life. Elders are to be men who invest themselves. Who teach the principles of godliness to other people in whatever form it is. Fourth, we see the man's maturity. Notice in verse 6, Paul gives a caution. Not a new convert, he says. Now, this doesn't deal with age as much as it does spiritual maturity. Age is not a determining factor in being an elder. Sometimes, because we use the word elder, we think it means older. Not the case. A spiritual qualification, not a new convert, someone who's new to the faith. And Paul goes on to say, why? Because, you know, if you put a man in a position too soon, he's not ready for, he can, he and Paul says, become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. What does the Bible say? Pride goes before a fall. And we do a man a disservice, we do the church a disservice, if we put him in a position of leadership in the church before he's ready for it. And so Paul says here, not a new convert. And then there is, uh, finally, the man's reputation. 
where he says in verse 7, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Must be a man of good reputation. And again, he's, Paul makes the point, not just in the church, but outside the church. Why is that? Because it affects his witness. It affects his testimony. There is a, a great extent, folks, that the, especially in a church like ours, the character of the church is noted by its leadership. Who your leaders are says a lot about you, about us as a body. I realize that myself. Who I am reflects a lot on you. What I do reflects on you. If I go out in public and I do something that embarrasses me, it embarrasses you. It embarrasses Christ. It is embarrassing this church. It is the same way with the elders. We want to have men who have good reputations outside, outside the church. You know, you don't want people outside the church saying, well, what's, what's that guy doing, an elder in the church? Reputation. A good reputation. Now, when I close, I want to say a few things. I've been, I've been doing this a long time. I've been around a lot of churches. I've been around a lot of elders. I've dealt with a lot of different situations. And I've, I've told the elders of this church, they're a, they're a unique group. And I want you to understand that. I've been, I've been, I first preached through this, these seven verses, talking about uh, the desire man ought to have for the office and the qualifications, the character traits he ought to have, and uh, the ability he ought to have, and the reputation he ought to have. <coughs> Folks, you are blessed. God's been good to this church. And the real reason this church is what it is today is because of the elders God has given to this body. They pray for you. I want you to know they pray for you. We pray as, a, as elders and we pray, we pray through, the, through the, the, the names on the roll as we do that every, almost every meeting. Folks, they're praying for your children by name. They got them. They know your children's names. And they're praying for them. And I can tell, isn't it once a month at the meeting they pray for them? They're praying for them regularly. You ought to be thankful for that. And you need to pray for your elders. That God would give them strength. Folks, they deal with some hard things. They deal with some difficult issues. They kind of have to be like Solomon, dealing with the, the baby claimed by two women sometimes. How do we deal with delicate situations that impact the life of the work of the church? And you need to pray for them, that God would give them wisdom. And you need to pray that God would protect their hearts from temptation and from sin, from what Paul calls the snare of the devil. What's a snare? It's a trap. It's a trap. And don't think that Satan doesn't have his traps set out there for the leaders of the church. 
And so you need to pray for them to be able to avoid the snares and the traps that God set them. You need to pray for vision for them. So we've said this church turns 20 years old this year. And we're going to be asking some hard questions of ourselves this year. Where do we go from here? How do we take this church from where we are now to where we believe God wants us to be in the future? And so you need to pray for vision. Vision for your elders. Wisdom for them as they deal with those uh, important matters that affect the life and the work of the church. Look, I don't want, and your elders don't want this just to be a place where we come to church and we we go home and we've just done another routine thing. We want the church to be an important part of your life. We want the church to, to be an encouragement to you, a help to you, a help to your family, to your children, to help them come to know Christ and to grow in their faith in Him, to, to feel like we're doing something meaningful and significant here. And so pray. Pray that God would grant your elders great wisdom as they lead this body, and I want you to be encouraged this morning by the leadership God has given to this church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for this part of it that talks about the leadership, what the leadership of the church should look like, and what we should look for in our leaders. And we do pray for our elders, that you would be with them. I thank you for them, and pray for your grace to be extended to them. I pray for wisdom, for spiritual protection, for vision, for compassion, for understanding, that they would know, O oh Father, your blessing upon them and their lives as they serve you in this important place. And we ask it in Jesus' name.